I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show. That's the rapper Big Poop. And our guest today is Jared Weiss from The Athletic. Jared, thanks for giving us a little time today. Yeah, this is an honor. <laughs> so, Jared, I, I know that we uh, just got through with free agency and I had talked with you about maybe breaking down like how these trades happen from beginning to end. Uh, you said you had one in mind. Well, hold on. Before, before I do that, I thought you were going to give me a chance to suck up to Big Poo a little bit. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I'm around NBA players for a living, so I can see, you know, I can see Will Chamberlain walk by, be a little confusing because he's dead, but even, I wouldn't feel anything. But if I'm around a member of Little Brother, I get, I get, you know, my blood starts boiling a little bit. My you know, heart starts beating a little bit. Uh, th- you know, this guy is a huge part of my childhood and, and my turn. Actually learning how to write really, you know, from you and Fonte for, for the most part, really. I, I learned more from you guys at MF Doom than I did from reading actual sports writers. So I owe you, I owe you a debt of gratitude. We were just talking about how I got this uh, get back hoodie back in the, uh, the get back tour about what, like 14 years ago. So uh, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad I held on to this all these years, just in case I had to break it out for the podcast one day in the future. Of course, <laughs> thank you, man. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely honored, man. That means a lot to me. Thank you. So talk. Okay, so talking actual NBA. So you wanted to talk about how the trade process works, and it's funny because there were a few really interesting ones that happened over the past week or so. I mean, a big one that I was reporting on with uh, my colleague Sam Amick at the Athletic was the Aaron Gordon trade uh, race, really. And so he, you know, we, we broke that he requested a trade in, I think it was February. And so, you know, that's more common than people realize, you know, a trade, a trade request isn't always like what James Harden did, where you don't show up to the team and you're showing up, you know, giving a million dollars, a little baby on the other side of the country when you're supposed to be at practice. You know, that's not usually how it goes. Usually it's, you, you go to the GM, whether it's you or your agent, and you basically tell them, listen, things just aren't working out here. I, I really think it's best. It's time for me to move on. So can you please trade me at, You know, when the trade deadline comes up? Um, sometimes you give a list of where you want to go, stuff like that. Aaron Gordon was an interesting case because he just wanted to get out of Orlando. And to be fair to him, Orlando tried to trade him twice at like each. So basically the draft and the trade deadline, those are the two times where trades tend to get done. Those are like the two trade seasons. And they tried to trade him at each of those trade seasons. They actually got to the finish line on trades and the trade got out and they ended up not going through with it. So it's one thing if guys come up in trade talks, it's another thing when they literally get to the point that they think they're getting traded and then it doesn't happen. You can go through that once and you can still move forward from it, but going through that twice, it's at that point, it's like, you've got to move on from that relationship because you've just, you've shown, you've shown multiple times. This isn't just a matter of, we had an offer that we just couldn't turn down. This is kind of a pattern at that point where it's clear that we're looking to move on from you if we can make an upgrade. So he went to them and he said, please trade me. Um, and it was, it was misreported a lot that he wanted to go to a contender. He, he did not have to go to a contender. That was not his request. He was willing to go pretty much anywhere in the NBA if they would trade him because he would have a better opportunity with a fresh start there. But he especially wanted to go to like Boston, Denver or Portland, he ended up going to Denver, which I think was the best scenario for him. But, you know, in those talks, 
there were some teams that when they were trying to trade for him, they wanted him to commit to signing a contract extension. But the funny thing is the rules are set up that you're very limited on how much more money you can make in a contract extension. But if you hit free agency, you can make you know, all, all the way up to the maximum. So he, there's no reason for him to sign an extension. So that took uh, Houston, Houston out of the, uh, the running. They actually pretty much had a deal done. And it was really just contingent on what he commit to his future to Houston. And he wouldn't do that when signed the deal. So they didn't want to make the deal, which is funny because they ended up making a way worse deal with Victor Oladipo anyway, in the end. So Houston just completely blew it anyway. Um, but so he would have, he, you know, I think Denver and Boston both felt like if they bring him in here, he's going to be so happy here. We're really confident that we can keep him in free agency. So they were both willing to do the deal. And it was kind of basically just whoever would be willing to throw in the most draft picks would win the race. And obviously Denver was the one willing to do it. Jared, I, I'm, I'm interested in, we, we obviously, you just told us how in this specific case, the Aaron Gordon deal, you know, went down. What about in a situation like Kyle Lowry? Um, you know, he did the, the, almost the, the farewell goodbye press junket after that game. And, you know, and, and so we all just assumed he wouldn't be with the Raptors come 3 p.m. on trade day, but here he is still with the Raptors. Can you explain kind of, you know, what you know of the thought process and going into not trading a player like Kyle Lowry at the trade deadline? So I'm everybody was shocked that they didn't trade him. I mean, there was a reason why he was doing all that stuff beforehand. Like everyone assumed it was going to happen. And I think it was as simple as that the Raptors were holding pretty firm on wanting to get like a pretty good package of return. They wanted a few young rotation players. They wanted a draft pick on top of that. And, you know, for Kyle Lowry with his talent level, that's an obvious decision to make that trade, except that he's about to hit free agency and he's going to have a really competitive free agency. So it's going to cost a lot of money. So I, I think a lot of teams are just feeling that, especially the top teams that were really in the race for him, like Philadelphia, especially, I think they just felt like, we could probably sign him or do a sign and trade for him in the off season and get him that way and give up way less than we would give up now. And we're confident enough this year that we could win the title that we'd rather just wait. And so I think it was just that the teams that were in on Lowry felt that way. I know that the Lakers would have had the deal if they included Taylor Horton Tucker. I know it's come out that that was a sticking point. What it actually was, was as simple as if they threw in Taylor Horton Tucker, the deal was done and Kyle Lowry would be a Laker, but they didn't want to give him up. I think they feel like we could probably sign Lowry this offseason somehow um, and not have to give up one of our prized young guys. And then Philly did the same thing with Tyrese Maxey, I think, also. You brought up the Lakers, and it made me think of the, the Nets. And are, are these super teams and buyouts been creating what seems like easy contenders? Is that the future? I mean, is that where we're at now? Or is That's the, the past. It's been that way. I mean, this has been a, at least a, I've been covering the league for, I think, a decade now. And every single year, the top teams in each conference, basically, at least the big market ones, tend to sign a really good player at the end of the year. I mean, remember, um, no, you know, I was, I was going to use Anton Jameson when he went to Cleveland as an example, but I think they actually traded for him. But either way, every year this happens. And I know that's become a story because some anonymous GMs are complaining this year. But honestly, I think the impact this year maybe felt bigger because it was a lot of former all-stars on the move, but all these guys have been kind of washed up, you know, like Blake Griffin was what was like the worst player on the Pistons basically this year. Now he's 
turned it on when he went to uh, to Brooklyn. And we'll see what happens with LaMarcus Aldridge and Andre Drummond's. But like it, it was like those guys were playing really poorly and nobody wanted to trade for them. And that's why they ended up on the buyout market. Um, so I, I agree there should there pro- I think it's always been an issue and there should there should be some form of there should be some sort of reform done where maybe like if you're already spending the X amount of money on your payroll as is, you might have to pay an extra tax to acquire that player, you know, something like that, um, where it's like specific to guys that got bought out during the season because we already have the luxury tax. But they're probably because like right now, uh, the Lakers signing Andre Drummond's it costs them like a million dollars, even with the luxury tax that they're paying. I'm pretty sure they're paying the luxury tax. So that's like, that's not that much, you know, that, that doesn't really matter to them. But if you made it cost like $7 million, then, you know, that, that would maybe, maybe make them want to go for somebody else. Jerry, we, we had a team decide at the deadline to, to, to tear it all down in the Orlando magic. Um, and then you have teams, be, I think, especially because of this, play-in tournament style thing we have this season where they, you know, like, I don't know if we're quite sellers yet, but do you, do y'all get as someone who reports on the NBA, do y'all get kind of uh, advanced notice when you feel a team is going to just say, okay, we're just going for a rebuild versus a team that's want to stick around the fringes and, and, and see if they can sneak into the, to the playoffs or, in this case, the, the play-in tournament? I mean, like, there's no press release that's sent out to us that says, hey, we're going to rebuild. Uh, but, I mean, I have sources that are telling me this is what we're hearing. Um, but, you know, the funny thing is Orlando is a great example where coming into this trade deadline, we were expecting them to trade Evan Fournier and Aaron Gordon, and maybe they would trade Vucevic if they got some sort of, like, crazy offer they couldn't pass up on. But generally, Orlando's plan was to keep Vucevic for this year and then see how good they could be next year when they have uh, Jonathan Isaac and Marco Fultz back healthy. And they also probably have like a top draft pick and they have a really good rookie. So I think they wanted to see how good they would be then and then decide to trade Vucevic in the middle of the season if you, you know, if they weren't good enough. But then I guess they must think Wendell Carter is going to be incredible. They, I'm sure they wanted to draft Wendell Carter over Mo Bamba a couple of years ago, and that must be why they wanted to make that trade. Because what they got in return, you know, Chicago is probably going to be picking in the middle of the first round, but it's not like they got like unbelievable draft picks that would really force them to do it now. So I'm guessing they decided that Wendell Carter is going to be great, and that's why they wanted to make that move. And that's what triggered them to go for that full rebuild. Because, you know, trading away Aaron Gordon and, and Evan Fournier, that's not a huge rebuild for them because those guys are like solid, but they have other guys that they want to replace them already. But trading away Nick Vucevic for a young guy in Carter who hasn't really done much yet. That's I think where it's a real rebuild. Well, it's hard to talk about, but we are wizards fans here. What does the league feel about Tommy Shepard? I asked that because wizards fans everywhere are begging from Masai Ajiri. So I'm just curious where he stands and how people perceive him. Yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry, guys. I, I, you know, if I knew you were Wizards fans, I would have brought some flowers or something. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> I mean, I'm excited about this Wizards team because there's a lot of, like, good young players there. They just – they don't have the guys, uh, you know, to really, to really win in the future unless, obviously, Beal sticks around, which I would be shocked if he did at this point. But so, I, I mean – I. 
I haven't heard anything negative out of Tommy Shepard yet. They haven't really made any kind of crazy bad moves. He's drafted pretty well. You know, Rui Hachimura was a pretty questionable pick, and I think Rui's looking really good, and he's adjusting to his role really well. I really like Denny Avdia, so I thought they, they hit that one out of the park. What's been kind of weird is a, a couple of the guys that they just traded away, like uh, Troy Brown, uh, Isak Bongo, who someone doesn't really play much anymore either. Those are guys that I thought were really good. It would be a part of their foundation of kind of their good bench players. And for some reason, they just haven't really played that much this year and then kind of got traded away for nothing. So uh, unless Chandler Hutchison gets healthy and is good. But so, you know, I think Washington has kind of just looked at one of those teams that's kind of stuck in the middle right now because they have two all-stars who are performing pretty well and still the team isn't competitive. So it's not like they can do much more to get better right now. So they probably have to do a big rebuild. It actually probably makes sense for them to just, unless they can pull off some sort of huge trade to bring in another superstar, it's actually probably better for them to trade Bradley Beal at this point and just kind of start over. What what does that say about the two superstars that they're not able to produce more wins? I don't know because I watched them play and they're both pretty awesome. So, I mean, Beal's been incredible offensively this year. Russ is, Russ is having that thing he does every year where he's horrible and then he has like two months where he's like an MVP level player. And so the big question is, is that going to hold up? You know, last year that didn't hold up. And then obviously the pandemic hit, we'll see if it holds up this year. But you know, he just had like one of the best triple doubles in NBA history. And I know triple doubles don't mean really much with him. But when you pull off that, I think that's definitely noteworthy. So I, I think it. I think it's really just that there's a huge gap between the players that are ready to compete now and then their young guys. And there's just, they don't really have that middle grounds, but you know, just having like a good starter that's in their prime is a smart two way player. They're just, they just don't have that kind of balance yet. I guess last night was a good example of what you're, what you're speaking of where exactly. Russell Westbrook played out of his mind and nobody else could throw a rock in the ocean. <laughs> like that was a great example of that. Um, I'm interested on your thoughts, not necessarily on the Stephen A. Russell Westbrook thing that's going on right now, but just how people view players like Westbrook in that they believe he he has these numbers averaging a triple double, but they don't believe it's winning basketball. Um, And as we just discussed with the Wizards, when you look at the team, there's a clear distinction between Russell Westbrook, Bradley Bill, and then what what else they have on the roster? Like it's it's tears between those players. Like what what do you say to 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 the fact that he plays this brand of basketball where he averages triple doubles? Some say you know stat stuffing, but it's not producing winning basketball. So I, I actually didn't hear what Stephen A. said, but I saw Russ's response to it, so I kind of have an idea what Stephen A. said. It's pretty rare Stephen A says anything that's really worth talking about anyway. Um, you know, he he tends to create his own reality distortion and then operates off of that. I know at the end of the day, Russell Westbrook is I think Russell Westbrook is better than what his stats show, which is funny because his stats, if you look at his total stats, they're amazing, but his efficiency numbers are horrible. And his total stats are amazing because he plays out of control nonstop. And, you know, there's a great, a great example is, uh, do you remember that game years ago with Steph Curry on national TV? He had that half court buzzer beater over Russ to win it. It was like a middle of the year regular season game, but it was like one of the best regular season games ever. I remember at the end of that game, 
Russ took like seven shots in the past, like the last three minutes. Half of them were like air balls off the top of the backboard and stuff like that. Three of them were unbelievable that only he can pull off. But the thing is, it's like he's going to go, he's just going to keep running against the wall over and over and over again. And sometimes it's going to work, but I think it works less than it actually does work out. And so at the end of the day, unless he's having a great night, he tends to have a negative impact because he's just making, he's throwing up so many wild shots, making so many turnovers, getting over aggressive or falling asleep on defense compared to like the times where he actually makes good plays on defense. That's just kind of always been it with Russ. It's, you know, I covered the Celtics and we have uh, Marcus Smart in Boston and Marcus Smart's kind of the same way. Everyone I talk to says that Marcus Smart makes a positive impact as far as like talking to like statisticians and stuff like that. Uh, but you see, he will, you know, he'll take like three threes in the final minute of the game. Some nights he hits all three of them. Some nights he misses all of them. And you have to kind of just ride the wave with him. And Russ does the same, but at an even more extreme level, at, probably at a level no one's ever done in NBA history. Jared, what is the timeline on some of the big injuries that are out there? Kevin Durant, LeBron James, do we know when those guys might be ready to go? Anthony Davis? You know, it's funny, uh, Kevin Durant, it's, we, we really have no idea uh, how long he's, he's out for. Cause I think he was only supposed to be out for a couple of weeks. And that was like what, two months ago or something like that. It's been forever. And it makes sense. Cause he, it's a hamstring, right? And the guy just tore his Achilles. So you can't mess around with anything on the back of his leg. Uh, and they're still winning and they traded for James Harden. So they don't really need him. You might as well just like sit out till the last week of the regular season, basically. And they'll still be the number one seed anyway. Um, as far as LeBron, LeBron was ruled out for about three weeks with a high ankle sprain. That would be like the quickest return from a high ankle sprain that we've ever seen anyone pull off. You know, I mean, we know that LeBron is getting steroids every single morning to make himself big and strong. So maybe that'll, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, I mean, LeBron does get more treatment than pretty much anybody out there. So maybe he's able to somehow recover quicker than most people can. But it, LeBron's what, 36 now, I think, 36. right? Yep. Yeah. So, if you're 36 years old, why would you rush back from a high ankle sprain? Like you're just, you're, you're you're like, it's amazing that you've been this healthy for this long. Like why mess with that? Your team doesn't really need it unless they're going to literally fall down to the 11th seed, which is not going to happen. They don't need it. You know, the Lakers can be the 10th seed. As long as LeBron and AD are there, they're still going to have a chance to make the finals. It doesn't really matter. Um, and then AD is supposed to have another, uh, like another evaluation in two weeks or three weeks, I think from now. And at that point, there's a good chance he'll be cleared to play and he'll actually return. So it looks like he's you know, pretty close to returning. What about uh, Joel Embiid? I actually have no idea on that one. Um, I, I think he was ruled out for four to six weeks or something like that when he was out. So I think it's been feels like it's been three to four weeks at this point. So maybe he's coming back next week or so. But I haven't heard an update on him in a while. What, what happened with Kemba Walker this year? Kemba's my man, but he, he's been down this year, right? Is that because of the injury? It's Trust me, I spend every day trying to figure it out. He uh, So, you know, he had he has knee tendonitis. They haven't really said it publicly, but, like, it's, it's obvious that he has knee tendonitis. And so that bothered him last year. He tried taking time off and doing a rehab program, and it didn't really work. Um, but it also was kind of rushed a little bit. So this year they had more time before the season to do that process. And he missed like the first month of the season or so. And he came out and he was really rusty and he started to find his groove and was having a bunch of 20 point nights in a row. And I, I thought that would kind of 
you know, it would be like an improvement, steady improvement, and then he would kind of be back to normal. And for some reason, it just hasn't happened that way. And that's even with him sitting out back to back. So he doesn't play that second game. And for some reason, he just still isn't consistent. And it could be possibly that the Celtics offense has been kind of a mess this year, but he's getting a lot of the same looks every single night that he usually takes. You know, it's usually he comes over that screen 30 feet up, pulls up from 25 feet and it's money, uh, you know, getting, you know, going downhill, then doing that snatch back pull up from 18 feet or getting all the way in, you know, all the way to the rim and doing that kind of double pump where he gets the contact and then puts up the floater. You know, those shots have always been kind of his go-to shots. And we just haven't really been seeing him doing that consistently this year. So there's something that's still off. Um, with the Celtics, I'm interested. In, I, I believe at the trade deadline, they, they traded for Fournier, um, another wing player. They have a glutton of wing players. Yeah. But the player they, I, I feel they really needed was an old friend who was waiting, who was sitting in Oklahoma City, who's no longer playing this season, and Al Horford. And they had this huge trade exception created by the Gordon Hayward trade to Charlotte. Why do you think Danny didn't attempt to make the move to bring in someone like Al Horford who's needed as opposed to a Fournier who appears to be extra compared to, you know, they have two of the best young wings in the NBA already in Jalen Brown and uh, Tatum. I think that they probably needed Fournier more than Horford actually because they got Rob Williams playing really well and they want to continue to develop him and give him those minutes. So Horford was probably going to be either starting ahead of Williams, which would be bad for them long-term, or he would be the backup center. And you don't need a backup five as much as you need a backup wing. And really this offense has just been missing Gordon Hayward. They were missing uh, a tall wing that can shoot, pull up in the mid range, can get to the rim, can pass pretty well and can defend decently. And Evan Fournier is kind of like a slightly poor man's version of Gordon Hayward. He's actually a pretty similar player. So I think for them, they felt it's pretty clear our offense needs someone that can move the ball and can actually like when the ball comes their way, make a move or actually shoot it because they've been playing all these guys that are like wings, but they're not good on the ball. Like Shemi Ojale, who is a decent spot up shooter, but doesn't really do much else for you on offense or their rookie Aaron Neesmith, who airballs half the shots that he takes. He's just not ready yet. So I think they're actually going to benefit more from getting that six man in Fournier than they would from getting Horford as far as fixing that specific problem with their offense that I think is their biggest problem. But we do know Al Horford is really great uh, in the Celtic system and it would be great if they could bring him in, but he's old and is getting paid like $26 million for a few more years. I think they would have just rather have a younger guy who's in his prime in Fournier so they're also probably not going to have to pay as much than you know somebody who's in his mid thirties and declining. Did I see you write or say that Drummond had originally planned on coming to Boston instead of LA? Yeah, it wasn't quite, but it was it was down to the Celtics and the Lakers. And I, I was reporting originally that the Lakers were the front runners and the Knicks were heavily involved. And when I started putting that out, I had a lot of sources telling me actually the Celtics are probably in the lead right now. And at the very least, it's 50-50. So as I was talking to sources throughout that day on Saturday, trying to break the break the actual signing, um, it was going back and forth. You know, In the morning, I was being told the Celtics are the favorites. By the afternoon, I was being told the Lakers are the favorites. 
by like the early evening, I was being told it's pretty much 50, 50. And he's going to, he's going to put out his decision tomorrow. And then I got word by, I think like seven o'clock um, on Saturday evening that it looks like he's going to the Lakers. I only had one source saying that, so I didn't put it out. Woj put it out right after I heard uh, from that source. It sounded like the agent was just giving it to Woj because the agent actually told Woj to use his name when he formally announced it the next day. Uh, so I think Drummond was going back and forth on it. I'm sorry. How many text messages are you getting on a day like that? Um, that day, I probably had a couple hundred, I would guess. Um, you know, I'm probably I'm probably in active text conversations with, you know, eight to 10 sources, then talking to my editors, a couple other reporters that I work with, Shams Charania, who's the big newsbreaker, obviously, and Sam Amick on a lot of our reporting at The Athletic. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm probably in active conversation with around 10 people. So, you know, that's that's a couple hundred on days like that. You know, on a, on a, like on a day like today, I probably texted like three people, basically. You know, it's a pretty, pretty calm day today. Uh, but yeah, when deadline season happens, you know, like my I my phone died, I think like five times that day. So I think you know, keep wow. recharging it over and over and over. Wow. Jared, I'm interested. Who do you see as the final two teams or, or the top two teams uh out of the east and the top two teams out of the west when this is all said and done? I think the conference finals would be Brooklyn over Philly. You know, I, I think Brooklyn's the best team in probably in the NBA. Uh and then in the West. West is harder. I mean, I, I love how Utah's playing, but they've come down a little bit to earth in the past month or so, um, and they just they don't they they don't have an elite creator off the dribble uh, in crunch time. Although Mitchell probably could be that guy for them compared to the other teams like you know Kawhi with the Clippers, LeBron and AD with the Lakers. Um, you know, and then we'll see if Devin Booker and Chris Paul can elevate to that level. But so. You know, it's probably Utah and then one of the L.A. teams. I would probably pick the Lakers as as the other team just because we know how much better LeBron is in the playoffs. And I think we're, actually, we're seeing A.D. gets better in the playoffs, too. Uh, and the Lakers have been getting by this year with, with barely either of those guys, basically. What do you think the status of Brooks for the Wizards is? Do you think he'll make it through the season and get fired after the season or – Lord help us if he gets another extension. I mean, I don't see any reason to fire him now unless they have a coaching candidate on their bench that they want to try out and give him, you know, give him some run at the end of the year. I mean, wh- how far out of the 10 spot are they right now? Like four, three or four games? I think, I think? it's about, I think it's four games. Okay. So let's see. So there's about 30 games left this year. So they have about, 10 more games before it makes sense to fire him. You know, at, at that point, if you're, if you have 20 games left in the season, you're still four or five games back. There's a chance that you could get really hot and, and pull it off, but in all likelihood, you're probably not going to, and that gives you enough time to get a coach in there and give them a lot of time to kind of, you know, get a feel for the roster and actually start to show some momentum. So that, that could be what they end up doing. I'd be surprised if Brooks, stays because even though Brooks is like a solid, he's always been a solid coach and he's, you know, he, he, I think he squeezed a lot of juice out of that orange there in, uh, in Washington, but it's like, he's been there forever and they just haven't really gotten to the top tier in the East. And I think it makes sense to just try a new coach. who's going to do something different at that point. Jared with the big fish in uh, Giannis off the market this off season, do you see it being, 
a a active offseason? And I, I know there's always transactions, but name-wise, an active offseason? That's a funny thing. Is So Kawhi is on the market, and it's possible he leaves. Nobody has ever any idea what he's going to do. And I guess it probably has to do with how the season finishes for the Clippers. You know, if the Clippers flounder out in the first round, then, yeah, maybe he does have to look elsewhere. But otherwise, I think he's going to probably stay with the Clippers. And then after that, most of the names that I thought were going to be really exciting, they're pretty much all off the market at this point. So then you're really looking at guys like John Collins and Lonzo Ball, who could be really good pieces for a, you know, for a contender. You have to pay them like a fortune, basically, because their teams are you know, have restrict, restricted rights and can match on them. And then there's guy that got, you know, those older guys like Kyle Lowry, obviously, is going to hopefully leave Toronto just because like Toronto should be kind of rebuilding. I'd like to see him in another situation where he can contend. It would be really cool to see him in Miami. Um, and then Victor Oladipo is honestly the most interesting one because Oladipo is kind of turned into kind of like an empty stats kind of guy over the past couple of years. And his defense is just not nearly where it was before. And so it's going to be really interesting to see now that there's so many teams with cap space, whether he's still going to get a huge contract offer or if it's going to be kind of a disappointing market for him. Follow up question. <laughs> you said Victor Oladipo, and that just rang something off of my mind. Why did the Houston Rockets in that trade, that James Harden trade, instead of bringing back Karis Levert, decided to trade him to to Indiana to bring back Victor Oladipo? Like what? What were they thinking? <laughs> I don't. Who says they were thinking? <laughs> um, <laughs> And Jared Jared Allen was probably the best player Jared, in right. that trade besides Arden, and he didn't even go there. I mean, it's insane. I think Houston blundered that so badly. That was a really huge mistake. It's possible that those picks on the back end they get from Brooklyn turn out to be great like it happened for the Celtics. But, you know, for the Celtics, when they did that Brooklyn trade, they were trading away Paul Pierce and KG, who were kind of at the end of their careers, and that whole thing blew up real quick. And it was also a bunch of kind of st- like semi-stars and Darren Williams who were, you know, weren't really like, didn't have a history. This Brooklyn team is Kyrie and KD who are best friends and James Harden, who they also are close with and have known forever. And Kyrie and Harden are in their primes. So like this Nets team is not going to fall apart for a long time. They should stick together for like four to five years probably and be contending that whole time. So the possibility for Houston getting a great draft pick at all out of that trade is like kind of not that good and getting multiple great draft picks out of it. is not that good either. So I, I feel like they just kind of completely blew it on the deal. And then as far as the Levert thing, maybe they, maybe like the whole process of how it came out, the Levert had the, uh, the was a kidney or liver issue. I can't remember which one. one or two. Uh, yeah. I think it was kidney, right? Um, you know, maybe they knew about that and they were like, we don't want to bring in a player with some sort of obviously organ issue because that could be a career ender. Um, so maybe that's why they decided to do that. But I think it just seemed more like they were willing to take a bet on Oladipo more than they were on Levert. And it, it, we saw how much it failed because they ended up trading Oladipo for almost nothing in the end. Mm. They traded. Yeah, I, I- I saw this morning uh, that the NFL is proposing rules for um, the more COVID um, vaccines, I guess, that are through the building, the more contact they'll be allowed to have and do extra things. Has the NBA talked about anything like that? 
not necessarily, you know, asking the players to get them or forcing them to, but rewarding teams that do more. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think there's like a, they're not giving them any sort of like incentive or bonus, but like, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a practical matter that once you get vaccinated, you don't need to take the precautions you did beforehand. So yeah, when teams get their players vaccinated, they no longer have to follow a lot of the protocols that they did before. So that should motivate everyone to get vaccinated. I know that there are some players that don't want to get vaccinated. Um, I mean, I have my apprehensions too, but you can talk to enough, you can do enough research and talk to enough doctors to like understand this whole vaccination process and understand why it's safe. So there, you know, there isn't really any reason for anybody not to do it. Jared, we thank you for coming on. I thank you for wearing that hoodie. You just Northampton Mass. You brought back some memories there. Um, please let the people know where they can find you and what you have coming up next. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm at the athletic covering the NBA and the Celtics there. I host our morning show, the daily ding. So I'm on there uh, Mondays and Friday mornings. Uh, so go subscribe to that pod, subscribe to the athletic and uh, trying to think of big projects I have coming up. Actually, I have a really interesting project on, um, the story, the story behind Tom Brady's uh, social media, like all the videos he makes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm actually friends with the guy that does most of that stuff. So we're working on a story that I think is going to be really interesting for people if you're looking for more stuff behind the scenes on how these players' brands get established. Nice. And the Athletic is giving away the subscriptions again, right? A, a dollar a month, I think I saw. It, it, it's like, it, it really is ridiculous how cheap it is. Like, People, a lot. I don't. I think a lot of people don't realize when you subscribe, it's you don't just like get to read what I'm writing. You literally get to read everything that we cover, from like F1 to women's college basketball to uh, probably like middle school golf somewhere in Kansas or something like that. I mean, we're we're pretty much everywhere. I think we have. I think we have like 450 journalists out in the field or something like that. So you get all that for one dollar a month it's like pretty much the biggest sports news network that exists in the world so so i was a subscriber before i worked there and uh i definitely still read uh pretty much everything there now that i can i'm a subscriber and it's well worth it oh i appreciate that well worth it if you got a message for fred katz you want me to deliver i'd be more than happy to i talk to him pretty much on a daily basis (laughs) he's welcome on the show anytime oh for sure i'm sure he'd love to before, actually, so before I lose you guys, I got who I, I have a question for you. Sure. So I was trying to think what's like the one question I want to ask you, but I guess it's more of a creative question of something I struggle with myself. When you've created a great body of work that you're really proud of and you feel like is your kind of crown jewel, nobody wants to make that and then be like, that was my peak. I'm done. I can't do anything better than that ever again. So I'm wondering, how do you? kind of go about continuing to create, continuing to evolve and not feel like you're kind of trapped in that moment of if you felt like you did your best work previously. Um, I view it through the prism of an athlete. Uh, I, I, I look at all my work. I look back at all my work like uh, game tape, game film, if you will. And I search for ways to improve. So whether that's inflection, whether that's using different words, you know, breaking out of the sources or um, different perspectives on, you know, what content that I'm, I'm focusing on concepts. So I just always try to look for ways, even if it's something minute that the average person might not catch, I look for ways to, to get better. So the next time 
that isn't the weak part of my game anymore. So it's like going to work out in the offseason and say, okay, I need to work on my jumper. Okay, I need to work on my three-pointer. Okay, I need to work on my handles. Okay, I need to work on my fadeaway, you know, or whatever it is. So I, I think me looking at it like that, it's hard to see something as my best because I believe I always have better in me. It's funny because I, you know, I, when I can't read my own work, I, I hate it. I hate listening back to myself. You know, I feel like it's <laughs> terrible when I hear it. And I look back on my like kind of my older work. I've I've been lucky enough. I've won a couple awards in my career so far. And I look back on even the the works that won those awards, and I'm like, this isn't even nearly as good as a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now. Like I can't believe I even got recognition for this. I feel like it's kind of like I've improved so much since then. And like, do you like? I think of like the minstrel show, even though it's what, 16 years old now or something like that. All I hear is mistakes. All I hear is mistakes. And that's like one of the best albums that's like ever come out in the genre. And it's, it's a bit, so yeah. Okay. That's that's interesting. I cringe when I listen to old music, especially that old, I cringe when I hear it because I just hear things I could have done better as opposed to what was great about this album like make no mistake i i definitely love the album i i wouldn't change it i wouldn't do anything over or anything different but listening to it with my ears now i hear the mistakes and even once i so like made a little watch um i I haven't listened to that album since 2020 sometime uh and it's one of them things where i've heard it so much in the creation of it that i don't like to revisit it often but when you do go back all you hear all i hear is the mistakes and it's like ah see i could have i could have said this i could have i could have did this like this but you know i mean i think that's part of the process of still striving to be better no no matter how many accolades or things you've accomplished you're still striving to be better and improve upon what you know what you what you're doing and and be better at your craft so I looked, I, th- I think that's a good sign. That's good. That's good. And yeah, I know like when it's your own art that you've created, you built it from the scratch. So you saw it in its kind of raw form. You've seen how you kind of layered it up to the finished product. So you can really see all the steps. And I think it's easier to see all the mistakes along the way. While like for me, I heard the album and it was just like, it was already perfected by the time <laughs> I heard it. So, you know, I only got it as like the complete package. I didn't have any kind of options or like, feeling of like where they could have gone this way or that way uh and so i think it's like easy it's harder for me to kind of see what flaws that you see in it um absolutely also that it was it was also pretty good which also helps too <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah life of a writer it's a tortured life it, it, it's, it really it's is. definitely a tortured life but i wouldn't i wouldn't do anything else in the world I appreciate you. That that really helps me uh, get more confidence as I try to kind of learn how to be a writer. Because I've I've been doing this for a long time and I still have no idea what I'm doing. Hey, that's that's how we all feel. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we all feel. Jared, once again, appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. Um, enjoy the rest of the season. Hope you hope you have your charger, your chargers ready for this off season. Oh, I will. Thanks, guys. This was Thank this is the this is the first podcast I'll ask. I was I didn't even like think for a second to come, say yes to. You. I mean, that was that was an automatic yes. So this this was awesome. Thanks, guys. No doubt. Have a good one. I feel like the old man. Where am I? All right. Perfect.
Right. That hoodie. That's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad I held on to this. Yeah, nice. it's uh, it doesn't fit me anymore, but <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do some more sit-ups after I'm done here to make sure it actually can zip all the way up. <laughs> it's it's so soft. And I remember I wore this like every day for like a year straight afterwards. It's still like in good shape. It's a good quality merch. Nice can quality. You, can you still see yeah. the uh, the autograph at the top? It's really faded, but it is it is still there. That's crazy. That is really cool. I don't even have that hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> Man. That's so cool. Yeah, it says, I think it says one love from Pooh and, and Fonte. 